0: Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success, show number eight.
1: Hi, everybody. You have tuned in to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success. We interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success. We sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be. Enjoy the show.
0: What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show. Live from Colorado, here with my co-host, Doug Kirstein. What's going on, Doug?
1: Hey, Rick. Um, things are going well, man. It's It's been a big day today. My son got his permit. 15 years old, got his permit. Now I'm teaching him how to drive.
0: Wow, that's a big step.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Huh? So, uh, you know, invest in crash helmets and uh, the insurance industry. because. Uh... <laughs>
0: Do I see another couple of gray hairs uh, on your head there?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Now my son's a good driver. He's a, he's a good kid. He's a, you know, he's a, an A student and he's a conscientious kid. He's just a, just a great kid all around. So I'm not even remotely concerned about him driving, but we went up to a local church today and have a big parking lot. We just drove around a little bit and you get a feel for how the car turns and how it moves, you know, and what happens when you put it in, and drive and what happens when you step on the brake on the gas and all that kind of thing, just to get a feel for it. Big days, big days.
0: Yeah, sure is. And you got to take those small successes, right? Uh, small steps and keep building on them, just like we're doing trying to figure out how people get
1: successful here. Exactly. So you're right. One one step at a time It's like the old riddle, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time.
0: Yeah, I always try to make sure that first one is successful. No matter, you know, even if it's a small step. Just so, you know, they don't get disenfranchised with situation.
1: Right. I think he was bored. You kind of got to do the boring stuff before you can do the fun stuff. If you, you can't, if you don't know how the car is going to work, you can't figure out where the blinkers are. You can't be out in traffic. Hopefully, he'll be driving on his own here when he turns 16.
0: Well, nowadays, Tesla, with their cars, you can hit the auto drive, autopilot, and they won't even have to drive anymore.
1: It takes some of the sporting battle that. <laughs> That's the truth, man. That's the truth.
0: Yeah. And speaking of Tesla, today, you know, Bitcoin took off and a, part of it was due to Tesla was expecting customers to pay for its electric vehicles with Bitcoin. Wow. Yeah. And they purchased like $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin to provide some liquidity, I guess.
1: Yeah. Not just to make change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the volatility of the price of Bitcoin. It says here in this article, it's, they're going to give out the price in dollars or Bitcoin, but the price is only good for about five minutes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I tell you, man, whenever I talk to investors about buying securities, I always talk to them about the the risks involved in currency fluctuation. Bitcoin is just another type of, quote-unquote, foreign currency. All right, so let's talk about our guest, Nicole Ruth
0: of the Ruth team. What do you think about her?
1: Man, I'm telling you, all these sharp people around it's great to, to come into contact with them and hear about the things that they're doing. What I loved most about her was her just desire to help give her knowledge and her wealth away. You just got to keep giving and keep putting things out there and keep helping people. We've heard over the last six or eight weeks and that that we've been kind of putting this podcast together. We've heard some really common ideas of things that people who are successful in what they're doing, that they really buy into, things that they really believe in. And one of those is, you know, you really... Have to just work on giving to people, giving, 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 and you know it comes back to you. But it's not about what you get; it's about what you give. And certainly Nicole, in her discussion, was talking about the things that they give. In fact, she said something along the lines of "We try to give it away faster than we get it." I assume that is less involved with money and properties and more involved in just energy and support with
0: them. Yeah, I think knowledge on right. trying to help other people be successful and through real estate,
1: exactly. I love that. What about you? What, what did you take from this? Yeah, I thought it was
0: really neat to get to know her a little better. I listened to her podcast, The Double Common Club. It's really interesting with these podcasts. You spend time with them listening, and it's a one-way exchange. But I already felt like I knew her. <laughs> So it was really fun to actually have a dialogue with her this time. (laughs) So anyhow, totally impressed. Yeah, like you said, these people that are all around us are just knocking it out of the ballpark.
1: Right, absolutely. Yeah, it just goes to show you, you never never want to make a judgment on somebody based on what you see. I mean, just you never want to look at somebody and think, I know what that person's all about. Look at different millionaires and, and people who are successful throughout the years. One of my favorite examples is Sam Walton. He used to drive an old beat-up Ford pickup truck from like the 70s, right? The thing looked like it was falling apart. But the guy had billions of dollars. I mean, he was a billionaire. And you just never know what somebody's thinking and what they're doing. So it's, it's so it's been so much fun for me to interview people, talk with them, get to know them a little bit, just find out what kinds of things make them tick. What are they trying to accomplish? Uh, and I think that's something with um, Nicole as well. I mean, the Ruth team, yeah, they're mortgage brokers. But, boy, there's so much more to her than just being a mortgage
0: broker. Well, before we get to the interview with Nicole, do you have a quote for the week?
1: Another good quote that I found here, I like this one from Warren Buffett, from anyone who knows something about investing, may have heard of that guy, right? Big name in investments. He says, the more you learn, the more you earn. And I think that is the whole purpose of this podcast for us. We're trying to learn as much as we're trying to help other people learn.
0: Well, if you had some Bitcoin, you would have earned a little bit today. All right, well, let's get to the interview with Nicole. We have a special guest on our show today, Nicole Ruth. Welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Oh, my gosh. I could go in a number of directions on that. I How will about at the you... very beginning? <laughs> It'd be like 50 years worth of history. So most recently, I will tell you that I am, I'm a branch manager for Fairway Mortgage. I've been in mortgage lending for 20 years. Love, love, love what I get to do every day. I have three amazing kids who are young adults now, 22, 21, and 19. And I run a team of, of 18 people and we are the number one producer in the state of Colorado.
0: Wow. That's a mouthful right there.
2: It's yeah. So now it's plenty.
0: <laughs> it's okay. So how did you get your start?
2: I started out in corporate America, which I guess I would say now was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in the sense that uh, it was rigid and there was structure and it was all in a box and you realized what was in the box and what was out of the box and you wanted to play in the box, but you realized that the structure actually supports the success um, when you hang outside of it for too long. So came out of corporate America, worked for what's now Accenture, it was... It was Arthur Anderson and then Anderson Consulting. And now it's Accenture that's kind of dating myself there, but did that for 10 years, did a fantastic, uh, had a lot of fun doing it. I was growing through the ranks quickly and, and you were traveling all the time and doing the dinners and doing the events. And I had these three awesome little babies at home that needed some attention and it was hard to do both. So stopped working for a couple of years picked up the phone, called a friend and said, Hey, I, I got to get off the living room floor. I don't need a career. I literally need you to pay my babysitter. And if you do that, I'm whole, I don't care. Don't need the money. Just need you to pay my babysitter. And he did. And he just happened to be the mortgage lender that we had used to buy my home. So he said, you know, what I need is I, I need somebody to do QuickBooks. I need a, an accountant or a bookkeeper. And I said, okay, I've never done that before, but how hard can it be? Oh, QuickBooks is hard. Like, I don't care who you are. It's an awful, <laughs> awful program. And, and so I learned humility, like massive amounts of humility during that time. Uh, and then I just grew and I, I quickly learned his business. And before I knew it, I was running all things ops and he was kind of the salesman. And then I went to a bigger company and a bigger company. And then I started my own company, which I owned for three years I was still all things ops. I created all the lender relationships, all the programs, FHA approvals, everything. And then I always had kind of a a co-captain who was all things sales until for many reasons, right? Companies come together and companies split apart. That company, it was time to split apart. And he was all things sales and I was all things ops and the phone kept ringing. And I was like, I got to figure out, I guess I got to figure out sales. And so I became sales and ops and and then I just kind of took off and went the loan originator route. And I found I loved it. Like I loved, uh, I loved helping people in a way that I hadn't experienced being in the back end. And I knew everything that needed to be done once I got them because of, of my experience in the ops side. So it ended up everything happened exactly how it was supposed to is what I learned.
0: Isn't that amazing? You went in just looking for a small job and you added value and you yeah. just keep adding more value and more value. Right.
2: Right.
1: right, So Doug,
0: you're in finance.
1: I am. In fact, I got my start in the mortgage business way back in 1997. So yeah, it's been a few years since I was out of it. Turned out I didn't love it quite as much as you do. Yes. <laughs> Exit from the industry 20 years ago. Now I do financial advisory work and, and sales work, but I totally understand what you mean by loving what you do, helping clients and doing things for people that they just don't understand, helping them through a world they don't understand.
2: That's right. Just,
1: that's really great.
2: I do agree. You, you got to love what you're doing. I mean, these hours are long these days. I mean, interest rates being as, at historical lows and the market being as it is, it's definitely a time where if you're in the mortgage business, uh, you, you've got to love it. But I also think you have to respect every single step you took to get there, whether it was backwards for you, for me, um, or the way I did it. I think every single step has its own learning experience and opportunity to take that piece, right, and build on it for better understanding. I'm sure you're a better financial advisor because of your experiences in the mortgage lending space.
1: Oh, I like to think so, certainly. Right. It, it helped me not only to be more empathetic to to different kinds of situations, but it also helps me integrate people's mortgages and questions about that and you know, all those sorts of things that maybe others couldn't answer. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember back in the day when 7% was the rate and everybody was trying to beat that. Uh, Was that around about the time you kind of started your business or uh, what was going on in the market then?
2: (laughs) My first mortgage was 7.875 and I was happy to get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. And I understand too that you are, your background is financing, not just in the mortgage industry, but you have a degree in finance. Is that right? I do have a degree in finance. I do from UT Austin. Nice UT Austin. I looked at UT Austin for grad school. That's a it's a beautiful campus, I guess. Uh, and I'm just curious: Are you kind of doing some of the things that you had anticipated doing, or, or did you have another career path? In?
2: Today, I think everything grew from the beginning. I mean, I could go all the way back to when I was a kid and raised by a single mom in sales, where you're going to Disney world one week and you're on food stamps the next week. And you take that and and all of a sudden you create this empathy for building something bigger than yourself and this empathy to support each person to n- never not have a roof over your head and to have that financial stability. Or you take that. My mom had a dream that she would create a better life. My brother and I, because of some of the things back in her history. Right. And I took that and, and now creating this desire for multi-generational wealth and building out what my kids have and what my client's kids have and what my clients have access to. And you take the finance degree and you manipulate that into how do I support people with individual financial decisions. So like you, you, And unlike you, so like you, it's the the whole scope of it, right? You don't just go in and say, what do you have in your stock account? Because if you did that, you'd be missing so much greater opportunity for growth and support for that client. If you're only looking at that one little sliver, if I'm only looking at their one 30 year fixed mortgage, then I'm not doing them justice in the overall ability to build stability and financial opportunity, Now I can't advise and all those other things and, and you might or might not be able to advise outside of your scope, but you can have an eye on it and you can provide referrals and a circle of support and direction in how to help them get from where they are, whatever that is, whether they're, they're 22 years old and it's their first job or they're, or they're 60 years old and they just had a bankruptcy and a death of a spouse and they're trying to figure out how to get their feet back underneath them and is real estate and the opportunities with appreciation and principal reduction and the ability to cash out refinance and capture all this equity. Does that provide some stability for that person who just went through those hardships at six years old and is now looking at a retirement different than the one that they had planned? I mean, that's the cool thing about what we get to do. It's, it's bigger than what we do. Cause if, if I just think of my job, my job's tedious. My job is is exhausting sometimes. It's it's overwhelming, but it's not. It's it's everything else.
1: Right. It's the people that I always tell my kids that that uh, money is one way to be compensated, but it's not necessarily the best. Right? So you can you can go out and get a job and make money, but there are many ways to to really fulfill your life by doing better things for people, helping those around you and, and getting something from Certainly has for me. Right. It's so, a great philosophy. I love it. So,
0: Nicole, you had success on this job. So, where did that morph into?
2: I don't own Fairway Mortgage, but I do own my team, the Ruth team, in a matter of the marketing and the camaraderie ship and the culture that we're creating within the team. So, from that and two decades later, we are kind of in this space. And because, you know, it was like eight years in ops and then it was, maybe six years as an independent loan officer, five years as an independent loan officer. And then this, you know, seven and a half years ago, I joined Fairway Mortgage and this question of what do you want to build? Where do you want to go from here? And what I wanted to build was bigger than me because it was, you get to this age in life, maybe part of it's an age thing. Part of it's a responsibility thing. A big part of it is a faith thing. And it's your turn to build something beyond you because it's not all about you. As much as I'd like to think it was, it's not. If I can build beyond me, then I can create a space for my employees to flourish, my clients to flourish, my family on the side because of all of the the opportunities presented for them to flourish. So yeah, that first job, getting me off the floor and paying my babysitter turned out to be... A life changing, uh, opportunity, both for myself and for the, the folks that we get to touch every day.
0: Wow. So you're driving a team with Fairway Lending, your team yeah. with uh, 18 people. Yes. How do you like that? Tell us some pros and cons.
2: We just closed 300 million last year where our goal is 400 million this year. That's going to be roughly a thousand families that we're going to wow. be able to touch on a daily basis. It's about teaching classes. It's about creating uh, awareness of what's going on in the market. It's about creating awareness of how to build wealth, capitalizing on real estate. I mean, I own 24 real estate investments myself. So how do I help others gain that same access that maybe they don't think that they can or they don't even think about it for anything else other than a roof over their head? You know, so coming in every day and coaching and supporting my 18 people, they are all now homeowners and now even starting to purchase investment properties of their own. I mean, how brilliant is that? So, so the roof team is a part of Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation. And Fairway has a fantastic name on its own. Like, it doesn't even need me for that. Like, it's got a great culture and a great reputation. So being affiliated and connected with a really strong player in the mortgage space, where probably the, the largest employee-owned lender, of course, now there's all the lenders that are going IPO and going public, which is fantastic for them. Right. But at some point when the rates start to tick up and they're anxiously uh, struggling for business, they're going to make some shifts and we're we're still going to be employee owned, which I absolutely love. It's that same culture that we have in our team because we're also built for supporting each other and the success ultimately and then our clients.
0: Well, I'd love to dig into the real estate side, your investing side. But before we do that, you mentioned coaching. Do you do uh, coaching and speaking engagements?
2: I do. So I coach some of the loan officers that we have in Fairway Mortgage. I don't coach people outside of Fairway. Um, Maybe in my second life, I'll do that right now. It's a time thing. But I do teach a lot of classes. I teach classes around uh, helping people understand how to invest in real estate, teaching classes on what the market, how to understand what drivers in the market affect the psyche of the buyer and seller, and what drivers in the market are expected to affect Either the appraised values, the purchase prices, the interest rates—those things that impact the real estate market and the mortgage market—as a support to the realtors and the real estate agents that I uh, that I serve, right? So I teach a lot of classes, primarily to the real estate agents that are kind of part of our network, and then I also teach investing classes to the general public.
0: Wow! Where can we sign up for those or find those?
2: On my website. It's uh, com.
0: Very good. Yep. Did you have any trouble uh, start speaking in front of the public?
2: Not really. Maybe like, ugh, God, I remember thinking back in college, I took, you know, some classes around public speaking and I remember being super nervous and I remember the first time at Accenture. Well, back then when I worked there, it was Anderson Consulting. And being given the opportunity to speak in front of 300 people, and I just about wanted to cry. It was awful. I didn't do well. It created nightmares for a very long time because I failed miserably. And then, you know, over time, you you do a little bit of something and it doesn't account for much. But five years ago, I decided that this was something that we're going to do. And like it or not, I had to kind of get over the hump and we started doing video and we started teaching classes. And luckily in the beginning, the classes are small. It's like five people, 10 people, it grows to 20, maybe, maybe 30 show up. You know, now we get a couple hundred. Now it's a lot of fun. Now it's a gift, right? We're, we're given these gifts, whatever your faith is, whatever you believe in. I believe that I'm given these gifts and that if I, if I hide them, and if I hold on to them and make them my own, then it doesn't serve the Lord. And so I have this little game and my husband and I play it. We have to give it away faster than we receive it so that if we stop doing that, whether that's our time, our treasure, um, whatever that accounts to, we have to continue to give that away. The rest takes care of itself. Very
0: good. If we were just reading through Esther uh, mm-hmm. and for such a time as this, right? Yes.
2: Yes. It's a fabulous time. I hate to say that out loud. We know what we've all just gone through in 2020 and with COVID, but it has been a time where all of a sudden family became more important. What was true to you became more important. What kind of life you leave and what kind of legacy stays behind became more important. And all of a sudden you think about these things differently. It's improved my life is all I can say. And, And I know that there's been many that have had incredible hardships that I can't even imagine all the way to obviously loss of life. But the opportunities in real estate were real and they were driven by this new found desire and passion around creating a space at home that was safe and welcoming and supportive of the family. That was real in deciding, you know, what you were going to focus on and who you were going to serve. It became very clear what we had to do. We had to continue to educate. We had to continue to serve and we had to let everything else take care of itself.
0: I've had the opportunity to listen to your podcast, the mm. Double Comma Club. Yes. So I feel like I already know you. Yes. Uh, what made you start a podcast?
2: So the Double Comma Club was starting as a joke, right? It was, the, it was, you know, this ability to become a millionaire uh, through real estate. And and so we it's become a little bit of everything. It's become definitely market- Direction and conversations and I, I interview a ton of real estate agents. Gosh, I love doing that. I love hearing their stories. The podcast was born from, I have a huge YouTube channel, ton of videos that we're doing, uh, every week. We're pushing out content. The podcast, I don't know. I think it was more of a hobby. I think, I think it looks like more of a hobby based on my number of subscribers <laughs> and I think it is more just a, I've got a full plate. I've got a full plate. Ultimately, my day job is originating mortgages, and I have to continue to remind myself that that's my day job. i got to spend the most time there. But I enjoy sharing everything I learn every day. Everything I learn is learned and meant for something bigger. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out how do I take what I now know and put that in a framework that it helps somebody else achieve something bigger than what they thought they could do before whether that's just an awareness and enlightenment and ability to serve their clients with more information to help their clients get off the fence and and make a decision, or whether it's just for themselves to purchase investment properties or take that next step and and leap. The podcast was just a a side gig, I think.
0: From the podcast, I've learned some of your basic investing thoughts. I believe you believe in buy and hold, pay down the mortgage and create long-term wealth. Yeah, I do, I
2: do. Everybody's got a thing, right? I mean, you can listen to a hundred different people and they've got a hundred different ideas of right. Uh, and what I tell folks all the time is that I'm not right. In fact, I'm extremely fallible, right? But it works. What I am is uh, observant of what I have done, what has worked, what hasn't worked, and where I am today. And so all I can tell people is, is, this is my way. It's not the right way. It's not the wrong way. It's just my way. And, and if my way gives you some points of reference to create your way, then it was worth my sharing. So my way is buy and hold. It's a strategy of knowing at what age do you want to retire how much money do you want at retirement goal wise and then backing it up and saying, okay, if I want $10,000 starting at age 62, $10,000 a month, that is starting at age 62, as far as the stability and financial uh, income every month, then what do I have? If I want $10,000, maybe I know based on my W2 wages that I'm expecting to get $2,800 in social security. I'm going to get a little bit of money in a pension, or I'm going to get this much money from my retirement. So maybe I've got $5,000 of that covered already. Well, now I have a $5,000 gap. How can I, Nicole Ruth, help you, John Beyer, get that $5,000 a month gap covered, right? And some people have $100,000 a month. Some people have $20,000 a month. It's the gamut. And then you back it up and do, well, how old are you now? How many years do you have between now and the time you want to retire, How do we buy the kind of properties that have the kind of cash flow that can be amortized or paid off in that period of time based on the market rents and based on the appreciation opportunities and based on the interest rates? What kind of cash flow can we get to pay those down so that ideally all the properties you have at that time are fully paid off? And they're providing monthly income without encumbered by a loan. And or you have the option to cash out refinance with no taxable hit to that or sell it. And obviously, have hit pay capital gains or pass it on to your kids as a legacy uh, to what you've achieved. So that is that is my way.
0: Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stall Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with HomeSmart, and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stall Realty had to say.
2: Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services.
0: One of my favorite mottos, is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming. But with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stahlrealty at gmail.com. Or text, call me at 720-429-3303. I look forward to hearing from you. And now, back to our show. Very good. So can we dive into your investment
2: world? Yeah. So how
0: did it start?
2: It started with a single man. It started with a gentleman who is a realtor here in the Denver market. And he decided that I was worth, uh, his time. And I don't know necessarily why, but, uh, I was a loan officer and I went to one of these real estate networking. It was a breakfast club, right? This was back before meetup. And so this is how you learned about deals. You went to these in-person breakfast clubs or meeting rooms or whatever. You know, this was in a Marriott and a dingy, ugh, it was an awful little room, but we, got a bunch of people, 100, 150, sometimes 200 people were crammed in that room talking about deals. And I went as a lender to score realtors. I mean, that's what lenders did, right? You went to offices, you dropped off cookies, candies, you went to these things hoping to make business happen. He went looking for investors. So he and I were sitting talking and I was like, he's very well-educated, well-spoken realtor. I want to get to know him. And here he's probably thinking here's a little guppy who doesn't understand how to invest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to score this one. And who knows what he was thinking, but he was kind, extremely, extremely kind. And he helped me purchase uh my first fourplex. Uh, and it was a deal he had. It was a pocket deal. This is, you know, 10, 11 years ago, back when you could do pocket deals and, Right off to a quad? Right to a quad. Wow. He was determined, as much as I was determined not to buy it, he was determined that I was going to buy it. I tried to pull out of that thing at least three times during the contract period, but (laughs) he was determined more than me. He won. And I bought it. And you know, it was through that, my husband and I afterwards kind of sat down and breathed a deep sigh of relief that it was done. And and my husband's like, that was a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do that again. And I go my God, that was so much work. We need to do that again. Cause like, I just learned all that. We got to do that again. And so we did, we bought like another rental, like the next month. Cause I was like, I I need to, Oh my gosh, don't make that not for nothing. (laughs) It was hard.
0: Wow. So the numbers on the first one worked out.
2: Oh my gosh. They worked out. I still own that. I still own that. And two of the four tenants still live there. Wow. So it ended up being, it's, worth double what I paid for it. The rents have I've never missed a month and it's an incredible. In fact, it's the best of all my properties still.
0: Wow. That's a good way to start. Yes. Right away you're you're addicted now. You gotta put this knowledge to use. You bought the second, was it another quad?
2: So the second one was just a little single family, a little two bedroom, eight hundred ninety square foot home. It we still own that one too, and the tenants have been in there a very long time, and it's it's worked out very well. It's worth double what we paid for it, even more than that because it was pretty cheap. And then we paused, and then we just tried to absorb the tenants, the managing, the figuring it all out, figuring out what we wanted to do with it. I didn't have any goals at that point. My goal was to score a realtor. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't have any investment goals, and so I think that that's when you know we had these three kids that were aging. You know, looking at where were they going in college and what were we going to do about that. And it was a couple of years. It was probably three years, four years before I bought another one, and then we bought a couple fourplexes in a row. You know, two and then two more a year later, and then. Uh, a couple of singles and then a couple more. But the last number of years, it was a little bit faster. And then I started turning to my kids. Now my my 22-year-old, we helped him buy a house when he was 20. And my 21-year-old, he just got his house when he was 20. And my third is 19.
0: Very good. Wow. That's moving right through these
1: houses. Yeah. Are you all over the state?
2: I'm only in Colorado. My properties. I'm licensed in 20 states uh, and throughout the year we'll be licensed in all 50 so that we'll be able to support our investors as they shift based on the market, right? I mean, I know Denver's expensive now, but it's also, it's off the charts. Like it's, it's, the appreciation is fantastic. The rents continue to rise. There's so many reasons to live in Colorado that it continues to be the top, whatever, you know, the top place to retire, the top place to go to school, the top place to raise kids. It's, you know, Denver is the number nine per realtor.com, the ninth city as far as growth opportunities in 2021. The U.S. News put out the report of their top cities and Colorado cities were for the top five. I mean, it's just this constant growth and opportunity of appreciation and strength in the real estate market. Population continues to move in. We certainly don't have enough homes to support the entire population, which raises the appreciation. And then of course we're all given this historically low interest rates. So to answer your question for a very long, windy road to get there, the answer is yes. All of my properties are in Colorado. Uh, and it's just because that's where I am. And I know the market backwards and forwards, but I'm helping investors now reach out to Phoenix, to Salt Lake City, to Boise, Idaho, to Kansas City, to a number of other cities that have an incredible opportunity for continued appreciation, the strength of the economy, and net population gains.
1: Do you like Denver primarily or, or are you front range person or just anywhere you can find a deal in the state?
2: Personally, I mean, everything from Lafayette, Fort Collins, down to Denver, down to Colorado Springs is a phenomenal opportunity. I don't really go Western slopes. I don't know it as well. Uh, I know that there's some great opportunities for rental markets uh, for the college kids. Of course, the mountain properties are Airbnbs. I don't do Airbnb. I do long term rent uh, buy and holds. So that's, that's not my niche. Could be if it wasn't, but it's not. And then you know Roar is fantastic. So you go down, you yeah, you can go down to Pueblo and Trinidad, but you're just not going to get the continued appreciation that you are here. But I've got some investors that have a couple fourplexes in Pueblo, and he's extremely happy with with the cash flow that they've generated.
0: Now, how did you finance all these early deals?
2: Fannie hey, me, and Freddie Mac at the time. Right now, I have ten financed properties. So I continue to buy them. Like, so we'll pay off a property. You can do a blanket loan. You can have other options. Now I'm buying them for my kids. And so they only have one. So they can continue to, to buy more. So I'm helping them out. Uh, so I've been able, all of mine, although I know I'm on the cusp of having to flip over to um, some sort of a portfolio lender option, but I, I do 20, 25% down. There's a, a great opportunity to to continue moving um, and I, I teach that a lot. If you're willing to move, then you can continue to purchase these as primary homes. But I don't do that. I, I, I started a little bit later in life. I had three little kids. I was not moving.
0: And do you manage these yourself? Because you said you're very busy.
2: I did in the beginning. I, I, I'm a huge advocate of self-managing. The self-managing gives you an awareness and an education on what is important and what's not important, right? What something should cost and what's too much. When are you getting ripped off, and when is something fair? If I don't have a goalpost, I don't know what I'm shooting for. And so self-managing gives well, you that, um, but now I don't. Now I have a management company.
0: At what point did you make that
1: decision to switch over?
2: Probably after the third property.
1: you, say you have uh, you have like, I think you said 22 units now?:
2: Yeah, 24 doors. So 24 a, a number 24. of those are inside fourplexes.
1: Right, that was gonna be my question. But when yeah. you buy doors, I caught on to that.
2: Yep, exactly. Okay. I'd rather have twenty-four doors in fourplexes than twenty-four houses. If the management of that is easier, the loan, the coverage is more predictable, right? I can cover the rent payments without with vacancies if I need to, right? If there's vacancies, there's four doors covering one mortgage, it allows for flexibility. And that four-unit property gives me more cash flow while still being a Fannie Mae opportunity loan right. versus five and up is commercial.
1: Right, exactly. Now, do you con- Are you concerned about the idea that if you have a single-family residence that one vacancy equals 100% vacancy in that property? Is that a, a significant concern for you? Or is that, as I know a lot of people like single-family residences, but I think they're very risky as a, a result of that.
2: Uh, single family residences offer more appreciation, right? I mean, so you're going to get further with a single family, but it as absolutely, it's a risk. So especially if you're early in the game and you have two or three homes and that's it, then you have one vacancy and it can be significant if you don't have enough in reserves. I'm a huge advocate for having money in reserves, but as you go on to add single families to the entire portfolio, it's certainly not as much of a risk. But per property, sure. It's a trade-off. Everything. Everything is a trade-off. And so the trade-off I chose is the stability of the coverage for lack of the extreme appreciation, right? I'm, I'm still getting it. Arvada Fourplex is worth twice as much as when I bought it uh, 11 years ago. And and so is a single family. It's But it was a small single family. So it, it all comes with trade-offs.
0: Do you have a great story to tell about being a property manager? <laughs>
2: I do have. So there's one property and it's, it's, it's my first fourplex, right? This one property that when we bought it, he had a dog, the dog destroyed the unit, like destroyed. All the wood was torn up, the screen doors, everything was torn up. And I like this renter, like he's a good guy. And in fact, he's one of my two that are still there we've just had a a very good relationship over the years when he needed some leniency, we were there for him. And, and every other time, he's always been a great, a great tenant, Um, but he does have this dog. So uh, I was able to get a a pretty nice seller concession based on the roof and this particular unit being destroyed as it was. And I told him that I will fix his unit when the dog passes (laughs) because I'm not doing it to have it destroyed again. Right. Here we are 11 years later, dog's still alive. (laughs)
1: Is the unit still trashed?
2: (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Hey, well,
1: it's a trade-off, right? He made his decision.
2: (laughs) I am a great landlord. I don't believe in slumlording. Not at all. 100%. Everything that's broken gets fixed. Everything that needs to get upgraded is upgraded. I'm just not going to fix the broken screens and floorboards and the things that the dog is going to do again. But every safety, health, is taking care of. I am a huge, I want tenants to stay as long as possible. That's part of my strategy as well. And I do that by humanizing the experience. When COVID first happened, we got real, right? Every tenant got a call. Here's the help that's available to you. Here's, you know, my direct number. Here's how we support our tenants. Let us know what you need and we'll be here to support you. We want your success. Ultimately, it's not about being your landlord and cashing a check. It's about being a human and making sure that your experience through this is as good as it can be. And because of that, the situation of each one of our tenants, we only had one tenant that needed some grace, right? And put on a payment plan. Everybody else paid their rent every time. So I was very thankful for that. And I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact that we cared and and they respected that. We were, there's a lot of respect between us and our tenants.
0: Yeah. We have some properties as well. And, I think of it as a service, right? We're providing a yeah. good a place to live and they're giving us some money for the risk we're taking for the property. But I always feel it's almost like my my mission field.
2: Right. I agree. I had a conversation with a friend and he was like cuz I I typically invest in C grade rentals and he had said I have a problem with investing in C grade rentals. I'm worried that I don't want to be a disservice or create a space where I don't think people should live because I wouldn't want to live there. And I'm like, well, everybody needs a place to live. And if anything, if you're worried about humanity and you're worried about doing good, you should only invest in C grade rentals and keep them out of the hands of the slum lords. Very good. Yeah. All right.
0: So you've started buying deals. Are you done buying all your pro- rental properties?
2: I'm not done per se. I'm not on the hunt. We'll put it that way. Uh, if the right deal crossed my table, I would still consider it. The whole strategy that we talked about earlier, the what's your end game? What's the amount of money that you need backing into where you're at and the payoff. I got there. So I, I was able to, to check that box and my end goal is satisfied. Do I need more? I don't, I don't know that I need more. I need to educate I'm required to those much has been given much is required. I'm required to continue to educate and help because other people's success doesn't threaten mine, right? I'm good. Like my, my rental properties are good. My kids are a blessing. I'm still married. We're hitting 25 years this year. I've got a great team that I love and respect and feel uh, an honor and privilege to be a part of. And so now it's just about how do I help more people get here because you don't want to be here and be all alone. I I want more people to come alongside and, and be in the same position of security.
0: Very good. So, you know, this is secret sauce for success show. And I think you just hit on one of the secrets is not to be threatened by somebody else's success. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have any other secrets that you uh, use to make your way through life?
2: Probably a few. Probably one is I trust my gut. There's been times that I've jumped because I thought I should uh, or because I thought somebody needed me to or I thought I was supposed to, especially based on some employment situation. Trust your gut. It's typically right. And I would say that be the first one to say I'm sorry because nothing in life is worth getting your feathers ruffled over long term. I'm from New York originally. And, you know, in New York, for better or for worse, we're very... Uh, we can be a very hostile group. We can be a very stubborn, very argumentative group, but ultimately we can have a fist fight in the afternoon and still go get a beer together for happy hour because ultimately it's, it's, we just don't hold grudges and we move on. So I would say that don't hold grudges. Nothing is worth carrying into the future. It really is life is too short. Make amends, fall on your sword, say you're sorry. And know that every lesson and and every fall was worth it because every single one of them, every experience I've had, the hard ones, the ones that cost me tens of thousands of dollars, the ones that cost me a $100,000, they hurt a lot at the time. And I could carry that pain forward and, and make it so that I couldn't make future decisions or I got bitter about it or I could allow that to have happened. and taken what I could learn from right. it and, and move on. That's the life I want.
1: Very good. Since you're so big in education, I was wondering what kinds of food you look for in that regard, right? What kind of books are you reading? Do you have authors you like? Do you have subject matter that you enjoy that, that feeds you on that? End?
2: So I am a huge Simon Sinek fan. I've read a number of his books, start with Weiss, his first book and, and one of my favorite books, I've got a whole bookshelf with a number of his books on here. And The Infinite Game was also one of my favorite. I'm also reading right now, again, The 12 Week Year and teaching a mastermind on that uh, because I'm so moved to the power that somebody has when they finally decide uh, to take their opportunities seriously and, and kind of put tactics behind it. So reading The 12 Week Year again uh, and teaching a, a series on that. Gosh, you know, anything that gets me excited and motivated, I am a fiend for books and especially books on tape.
1: Do you have uh, any other books on tape that you've listened to that that are pretty good? You like Simon Simon Sinek, any other authors?
2: Gosh, I'm trying to think of something that I've read lately. You know, I'll tell you the one other author that I really, really like that if you're a leader in any, this is not for the investors that are listening, but if you lead any kind of group, Patrick Lacioni. Anything he writes is so well written. Uh, he starts out with a story because we all kind of relate to stories. And then in the back, it's a business book, but it's always story first and then it gets into the principles. And he talks about the ideal team. It's game changing if you're leading a group. Wow.
1: You always have like to ask uh, when we're talking with real estate investors, and you just reminded me of this, is the team that you have in place to assist in purchasing real properties, finding real properties. Obviously, you are a key part of your own team uh, more than just your regular investor because of your background and your your profession. Who do you feel are the, the most key people in your team for buying real estate?
2: I would say that there is nobody that stands out as more important than the other. I would say that I wouldn't have the stability and the success and the confidence that I have if I didn't have each person on that team. So I think that building a structure around who is your real estate agent, who is your lender, who is your financial advisor, your appraiser, your inspector, your attorney, your real estate attorney, your trust attorney. I have two different people. So having those people on my speed dial, being able to refer them out to others, knowing that I can just text them a question quickly and that they'll answer because we have that kind of relationship and trust the entire team, what gets me is when somebody wants to be cheap about it, right? Like I want to become a real estate agent so I can do my own transactions so I don't have to pay a realtor. Well, I'm happy to pay a realtor. If I'm wanting to buy a, a good property and I want somebody to do the research for me and help me out in that area, I want a good realtor because I have a day job, right? And so, and I'm a lender. So it's, it's having that, the, somebody having your back is key. Don't be cheap about that. Do you want a cheap retirement? How about you want a cheap success or cheap investment? Then go cheap. Don't go cheap.
1: I've kind of along the lines of a lawyer who has himself for a client as a, has a fool for a lawyer or something. Like, exactly right. What it was, right? But, you know, just because you can defend yourself doesn't mean you should. I think that's an excellent piece of advice. Right. Right. Okay. Nicole, what do you do for fun?
2: Oh my gosh. So I, I golf, uh, not very well, but I do do it for fun. I mostly do it because it's the only time you can actually drive and drink. <laughs> um so, uh I also am a huge biker. I have a uh, I love my road bike. We have a little relationship going that's uh it it takes all my stress away. It's fantastic. Just go as fast as I can.
0: Do you find places to ride around here that's not ha- right by traffic?
2: Oh, there's so many trails in Denver. So many trails in Denver. It's fantastic.
0: So, a road bike or a mountain bike?
2: Road bike the trails are are uh, pressed so yeah you can go up into the mountains but there's so many bike trails
0: very good how can listeners get a hold of you
2: so our website has a lot of information on the classes we teach certainly has all of our contact information uh, and that my last name has an e in it so it always gets everybody that's the team.com and it's r u e t h
0: and the double comma club
2: yeah there's the the in front of that the double comma club Uh, Is our podcast, Uh, and certainly on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You know, you got to be everywhere. Instagram, yeah.
0: Well, very good, Uh, Nicole. Thanks so much for making time for us today and sharing some of your uh, insights uh, into your world. Thank you so much.
2: You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Grateful to have had you. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Wow, that was a great interview with Nicole.
1: Yeah, it sure was. I I love her energy. She's just got this kind of brightness about her and sweetness about her. You feel like if you were, you know, one of her shows, you could walk up to her and just hang out and chat with her for a while. You know I mean? And she would entertain that as well. Just what a, what a great lady she was.
0: Yeah. I like the secrets that she had for success was she's not threatened by the success of others. Uh, Be the first to say you're sorry. Don't hold grudges. You know, and one of the things I think that every successful person needs to do is learn from your experiences, successes or failures.
1: I mean, what was our quote, right? The more you learn, the more you learn. And I think uh, not just learning from a book, but learn from your experiences, learn from your failures, and and that'll put you back on the right track. So some great wisdom there. When I think about kind of the way that she was talking about things um, and how her philosophy kind of works, I loved how she she takes and helps people plan. And as a, you know, as a person who helps people plan for retirement as well, I love, love this idea that she kind of starts with the goal in mind, starting with the end in mind and works backwards out of that. In fact, I'm reading the book uh, happened to be right now in the middle of the book, the seven habits of Highly really affected people. Uh, and one of those seven habits is start with the end in mind, which of course is smart. You start with the end in mind and you figure out how you're going to get there and, you couldn't, for example, give someone directions to your house if you didn't really know where your house was, right? You know, you have to not start with the end in mind. And so she puts this idea together. She says, this is where we want to go. Then she kind of builds a roadmap for it. And I think that is just a, a really interesting way to approach real estate investment. I feel like a lot of people are kind of willy-nilly with it. Like, oh, there's a house. Let's go buy that house. Well, okay, let's, let's pull the brakes there a little bit and, and maybe see if that works with your plan and what you want to accomplish. So I like that. I like that personal uh, kind of touch that she puts on it. Yeah, it's just funny that you
0: know she has that analytical side to her, but then she also has this really uh, friendly, personable side to her. She's that perfect combination of both of those ingredients. We should put it in a bottle and market it.
1: So that's the Nicole's Secret Sauce. You're right. She has a great combination of that analytical that understanding that the intelligence and the understanding of what she's trying to accomplish, but also the warmth and the I think personability of someone who you can talk to and you feel like you can really trust. She really has a great combination of,
0: of those. Kinds. I looked up on her website and she puts on a weekly webinar now with COVID. So I think it's like the second Thursday of every
1: month. So I was going to go sign up for it and see what she has to say. Yeah, I think I'll do the same. I'd love to, to be a part of one of her classes and, and see kind of how she puts things together when she's the one who is teaching things in that. be interested to see that as well.
0: What a great guest.
1: Yeah. Good. Ready to take us out of here? Well, thanks for everybody for standing by with us and and listening to that interview with Nicole. Everybody have a great week and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the secret sauce for success show where we find the secret ingredients for success. We all want to be successful in life. So let's break down the steps it takes to get there and learn from other
2: people's journeys. We hope that through the stories you hear on our show, you will find success in your way.